Paper Flower Consortium, Episode 2, Happy Hour. Recording by Loretta Bobron on Foy, former lady of the Kingdom of France and current historian and librarian of the Paper Flower Consortium. Beloved initiates and other listeners, in the last recording, I mentioned thralls, and I found many listeners who had questions or comments about being a thrall. It is amazing how judgmental people are. Personally, I blame Dracula and all those other villainous vampires from films and books who break promises or kill their enthralled humans or other helpers. A real vampire doesn't behave in that manner. Vampires require blood, and human blood is preferable. But that does not mean we need to be jerks. Admittedly, we can live for a while on animal blood, but we slowly weaken over time. Some of us have even gone mad when our diet consists of nothing but the flesh of animals. However, vampires cannot survive in any numbers if we choose to hunt. This would get all of our covens burned to the ground, as we have seen in several films. So, most of us now keep enthralled humans. There is another reason which people are judgmental of these relationships due to what I will refer to as romantic paranormal fiction. And while some relationship between humans and vampires are romantic, many others are just genuine and close friendship. Some are business. And some, the human, how shall I put it, worships the vampire as a god or goddess. Some relationships change over time. And just as the relationships are varied, the reasons people come to the coven are varied and individualistic. Honestly, it's amazing how many humans enjoy the quiet, slow-paced vampire lifestyle, but do not want the eternal commitment. Do not let the title fool you. Enthralled humans or thralls are not under anyone's spell. Any human in good health can enter the program. And it goes without saying that thralls are never touched by vampires without their permission. Admittedly, there is some ageism and classism by the humans. Vampires older than a few centuries, especially if they have not lost their foreign accent and dress out of time, are in quite high demand. Younger vampires, especially if they were born in America, are less coveted. However, the coven system ensures everyone's needs are met. Now, I hear looking for a thrall is a bit like dating, but ladies from the 17th century France didn't date, so I don't really know if that is applicable. While some enthralled humans come to the coven for a summer or even a gap year, most, once tied to a vampire, end up staying their entire lives, and only death takes them from us. You see, vampires don't care about the outer shell. We couldn't care less when our enthralled grows old, wrinkled, or fat. We only care that they are healthy enough to donate blood. And if and when they cease to be, after a lifetime of service, vampires care for their aging thralls most diligently. Some vampires even take in their thralls' aging family members, because we want them to be happy. Now, there are many benefits of being a thrall. One of them is housing in the coven for discounted or even free rent. They have full health benefits, including an urgent care clinic, twice-yearly dental cleanings, a yearly eye exam, and a $500 stipend for glasses or contacts. There are also family discounts at all of our vampire-run retail establishments and services. We offer free personal tax assistance, and for those people who own their own business, discounted quarterly tax assistance, 
turning on retainer, and of course there's also the ever-popular off-site cleaning service. Unlike the three years one must study to become a vampire, before any human is entered into the thrall program, they answer a questionnaire and give a statement of why they want to be a thrall. Obviously, being a thrall isn't permanent until the thrall wishes it to be. The following statement was written by Sophia Schumacher, who came to the Paper Flower Consortium Saturday Night Fellowship back in April of 2016. She is a college graduate and works for an internet marketing company in downtown Seattle. I am recording this statement with her permission. I wanted vampires to exist for so long. Ever since I read Twilight when I was a teenage girl. I was Team Edward. Though now I understand how creepy that was, I didn't know when I was a teenager. Don't worry, I don't think vampirism is like that. The truth is, to really know that there's something supernatural in the world is important to me. The strange thing is, I'm not sure I want to be a vampire myself. Shouldn't I want to live forever? But I just can't imagine filling immortality, especially now that I've met actual vampires. Perhaps I do want to be a vampire. I don't know. This is why I am signing up to be an enthralled human. It all started last Friday. Not yesterday. I mean a week ago. All of this is going to sound strange to you. Here I am writing about a happy hour of all things. I hadn't seen most of my friends since we graduated from college two years ago. I had to schedule some flex time and come in early so I could leave work at 3.30. Since I was going to be out for the night, my boyfriend Matt planned to meet up with some of his friends. The neighbor had been able to take Matt's dog out for a quick pee. All in all, I just kept thinking adulting takes so much work. The bar was empty when we arrived, and we found a table easily. Politics and the coming election dominated the discussion, but we were all Seattle liberal enough that there was no shouting or bad feelings. Or if there was, it was buried quickly and plied with alcohol. Still, I think everyone was more comfortable when we moved on to the next topic of conversation. My friends all talked about their lives as if they were waiting for something. I didn't really feel that way, but I wanted to fit in with the crowd, so I mentioned I couldn't wait for Matt to propose. We had spoke of marriage, but he hadn't proposed yet. And in the back of my mind, I felt this little twinge, because I wondered, if I wanted to get married so bad, why didn't I just propose to Matt? It was when the group mentioned wanting to attend and experience an art installation on Free Thursday that I suddenly felt something was wrong. You see, they complained about First Thursday crowds, and they were not willing to pay the nominal entry fee to the gallery to attend on a different evening. They babbled on and on about how ideas and art ought to have more government funding, how our friend so-and-so would be an artist too, but it was so expensive to even get started. And they complained about how they were all drowning in student debt. We were all too poor to pay to go to an art exhibit. I couldn't help but notice one less drink on everyone's tab and we could all go tonight. We were drinking $12 Cosmos. So leaving out the first thought, I asked, hey, well, maybe we could all go tonight. One of my friends spoke of the toddler free freedom that she was experiencing at that moment. Her voice dripped with mockery as she expected to see a screaming child at a Friday night art show that served wine. The rest of my friends agreed with her. The music grew louder as the bar shifted away from happy hour and into the nighttime crowd. When my friend's sweat-covered rosy faces blurred, I realized I didn't like them. I switched to water, but I yearned for fresher air. I cashed out my tab and said goodbye. 
I hugged my friends and promised not to wait another two years to see them again. I was lying. I would never call them again. Now, don't get me wrong. I wish none of them ill will. I hope they will all live happy and successful lives. I just hope they live somewhere that I am not. However, as the cold outside air hit my face, I feared the Seattle freeze. Locals know how it is. Ignoring the pestering voice in my brain, I wished I had brought a heavier coat. Like all Seattleites, I had learned to smell the coming rain in the wind which blew off the sound. And of course, I did not have an umbrella as I trudged up the hill towards the light rail station and bus stop. The streets didn't seem as busy as they felt like maybe they should be on a Friday night. But like I said, it was cold. I thought I heard a moan as I crossed an alley. I glanced over and saw what looked like a drunk girl stumbling in the dark. She wore no coat, only a thin tee and jeans. I called out, Hey, are you okay? The girl's posture changed. She stood too quickly. Her blonde hair, streaked with blue, fell from her shoulders. I had the distinct impression the girl had only been plain drunk. Then I saw something, someone, lying on the ground beside the not-drunk girl's feet. Her shirt front was covered in something dark. Was it mud, vomit, or some strange graphic plane with my blurred mind? She said, Hey! Feeling terror rise in my throat, I hurried up the hill. Panting, I made it to the light rail station. Covered in sweat, I wanted to open my jacket, but then I knew I would be too cold. Now that there were people around, coming and going, I felt silly for my panic. There were people in business attire heading to the trains and buses for the residential neighborhoods and suburbs. Young people in small groups wearing club clothes were ready for a night on the town. I was ready to go home. I glanced over my shoulder, the not-drunk girl nowhere to be seen. And relieved, I slipped inside. However, the two blue LED lights made everyone appear sickly. My stomach turned, and I regretted that third Cosmo. The train runs every 20 minutes, but I checked the lighted board anyway. And realized I had just missed the previous train. Damn it. Now I had to wait 20 minutes. A man vacated his spot on the metal bench, and I snagged it before it was swallowed up by someone else. Through my clothes, I felt the last shadow of the man's heat leach away into the cold metal. I filled with my phone, doing nothing of importance. I tried to play a word game, but could not get over the feeling that someone watched me. Someone unseen beyond the reach of the cameras. I caught a glimpse of the not-drunk girl's blonde hair streaked with blue. I told myself it was probably just someone else. Then I told myself, even if it's the same girl, logically, if she fell down in the street, she probably just wants to get home. But my mind refused any placating logic. Then the girl walked past, and I pressed myself into the wall behind the bench. Her flimsy shirt was too cold for the weather, but she did not tremble. Brownish red splotches stained her tea. It wasn't blood, I told myself. It is a graphic to a ghoulish band, something the kids know, but not me, not anymore. Now that life has become a series of repetitive actions. Wake, shower, take the dog out, work, eat, television, take the dog out, make love when I'm lucky, sleep. I no longer had time for Seattle's independent music scene. The not drunk girl caught my eye. She smiled and gave a little half-hearted nod in the way common to Seattle when two strangers meet. I expected a row of fangs, but it was just a smile. 
Was it my imagination that her canines grew longer in front of my eyes? And then I noticed the girl wasn't young. I mean, she wasn't old, she was just older than me. She looked like she might be in her late 20s or early 30s. I probably should have called her the not drunk woman, but as she acted like a club kid, I'm gonna keep using not drunk girl. And possibly just the alcohol, definitely terror, warped reality all around me. And suddenly, I feared I might never see Matt's dog again. And then I wondered, why was I not fearing I would never see Matt again? Why do I fear losing Matt's dog more than I fear losing Matt? And then I thought to myself, what is wrong with me? I like Matt. Do I love him? I feared I was going to die and leave Matt in a lurch on our lease. I could no longer take my eyes off the not-drunk girl who pretended to stumble into a college-aged man in a Husky's hoodie. However, he did not react to the blood which covered not-drunk girl's chest. Yes, I told myself, it has to be a band, and they both know it. And the girl is younger than she appears. Let's just say she's probably led a bit of a hard life, and it shows. The not-drunk girl and college kid started to flirt He pulled out his phone, texted someone, and the two left the station together. Watching them leave, I thought of the phrase which I had heard from so many people but had never said it until now. Youth is wasted on the young. My train came, but I felt rooted to my spot. I needed to know what was going to happen to that college kid. I sat there until the sky darkened even more. Not that it mattered. The LED bulbs still glowed more blue and outside the building spilled light into the street. But I sat there. I sat there until it felt as if all the people around me had become shadows. The not drunk girl appeared again, this time wearing the Huskies hoodie of the college kid. He was not with her. Her skin seemed more ruddy and she seemed more alive somehow. Her bright eyes scanned the crowd. Life is fragile, but I had to know. She looked at me and smiled again. Her teeth stained. Were they stained before? I don't think so. My instinct for self-preservation finally kicked in. My brain screamed, run, stupid, run. I stood and hurried to the platform and scrambled on the next train, not caring where it was going. I decided to propose marriage as soon as I got home. Matt and I already lived together. We had a dog. We both loved her. Some might say we were too young, but I am 24 years old and he is 26. What are we waiting for? To pay off college debt? To save for our first home? What am I waiting for? I looked out the train's window and caught sight of the blue streaked hair and Husky's hoodie chatting up another girl. I have to know. I scrambled off the train. I had to know if what I was seeing was real. And then I asked, Siri, what do you do when you see a vampire? Norma's cleaning service, a subdivision of the Paperflower Consortium, popped up first. Siri asked if I wanted to call the number. I called. And I heard the phone connect. Norma's cleaning service, a young female voice said, Do you take care of vampires? I asked. Yeah, but it depends on what you mean by take care of, the young voice said. Well, there's a vampire at the light rail station. I think she might be killing people. And you are? The voice asked. 
I'm just sitting here at the light rail station. I think she might have cast a spell on me or something. And you are, the voice asked a little bit more firmly. Sophia Schumacher. There was a pause. You are a human, the voice asked. Yes, Siri brought you up, I said. <sighs> the voice sighed. Okay, I see. No problem. We'll be there in a few minutes. And I watched as two vampires, or at least who I thought were both vampires, enter the light rail station. One was a young girl with black curls who scanned the crowd. Slightly uncanny innocence was plastered on her ivory cheeks. The man beside her looked to be 30. When you were alive, it is hard to describe the undead, but I suppose he was simply not as animated as the young girl. She pointed and spoke. He just stood there and nodded. I didn't know what was going to happen as they crossed the crowd, but they just spoke to the not drunk girl. I could not hear their conversation, and the not drunk girl nodded, shrugged, glanced over at me, and left. I was still rooted to my spot when the vampire, who I assumed was Norma's, eyes alighted upon me. I felt like she knew all my secrets. Of course, I have since learned that she absorbed at least some of my secrets because she is a telepath. Thanks for letting us know, she said. Public feeding is really frowned on nowadays. And she handed me a card that said Paper Flower Consortium. If you want to know what I know you want to know, then come to the chapel on Saturday nights. There's a church service and a potluck, but don't worry, there'll be plenty of human food. And I put the card in my pocket, but it was strange. When I got home, I still thought I might propose, but instead, as soon as I looked at Matt, we broke up. He doesn't understand, and he's hurt. He thinks maybe I slipped, and this is my way of dealing with the guilt. But I know now that there is something else for me, and I have to find it. So, Matt and I are going to be roommates until our lease is up. And then I'm going to move out, and he will have to find a new roommate, I guess. I really will miss the dog, but she was his first. And so tonight, I came to your fellowship. I came, and I am here, and now it is real. Moreover, zombies are real, too. Tonight, when I spoke to Norma, she told me that her friend was a zombie. Side note, Sophia is referring to Carlos Fisher Perez, Norma's friend and business associate. Statement continues. I appreciate everything that the Lady Pascaline and the Lady Agatha explained to me. So, I am just letting everyone know that I am heterosexual and would want to be paired with a man. I understand that vampires are not monogamous with their human companions. I believe I can live with that. I also understand that no children can ever come from this union. If I want to get pregnant, I must tell the coven immediately and all bloodletting will stop. I grew up Christian, but I'm not really anything anymore, and I'm not sure if I want to go to your church service. But I do enjoy your potlucks very much. Norma was right. There was lots of human food, and everyone was so welcoming to me here. And that was her statement. Over the next month, Sophia was introduced to several male vampires. Sophia was eventually paired up with Scott Henson, the ninth born of Charles. Scott does not have a vampire lover or any lover to the best of my knowledge, but he and Sophia seem to be quite content in each other's company. 
she moved into a small studio in our building after her lease was up. And her career is one with the ability to telecommute, so switching to the night hours did not seem to affect her job. I am happy to report that though Sophia was once Team Edward, it is apparent that now she is on Team Scott. Before I get to questions, the truth is, while we are in the middle of the pandemic, it feels wrong to read a commercial. I will just say all paper flower consortium businesses are closed as we are considered non-essential in the state of Washington. All church services and social gatherings have also been canceled for the foreseeable future. Please stay safe, stay at home, and when you venture out to the market or other essential business, please practice safe social distancing. All right, on to tonight's questions. Lady Loretta, you talked about the advantages, but what are some of the disadvantages to being an enthralled human? Well, I would say the biggest disadvantage is all condos in our building, and most vampire covens work this way too, can only be owned by vampires. This means the thrall does not own property. If they choose to leave the coven, this can hurt them financially if they don't put money aside, which they saved on rent, into another investment. Of course, this also means they don't have a vote in how the condo is run and how we spend our HOA reserves. Lady Loretta, so it sounds like thralls still have jobs? Currently, most thralls do have at least part-time jobs. Many of them have careers which they love. However, that is a decision between their vampire sponsor and themselves. The coven does not dictate this. Lady Loretta, what happens if a vampire gets tired of a thrall? Vampires don't get tired of thralls. We need them. Thralls get tired of vampires. I would say most relationships dissolve because the thrall decides that they want something else out of life. Their contracts are generous, and they have the absolute power to end a relationship. Of course, there has been exceptions. It doesn't happen often, but we have seen vampires ask their thralls to leave. For example, breaking the coven's trust would be a reason. We kicked out a thrall who tried to rent out their free studio for $100 a night on a short-term rental service. Most condo buildings have rules against short-term rentals, and ours is no different. We also have a rule against allowing strangers into the building during vampire sleeping hours. So we asked the offender to leave, and they did. Another reason that a thrall might be asked to leave is domestic violence. In 2018, a thrall became very unhappy, but instead of leaving, she got abusive. Domestic violence is an insidious thing even in this modern era. The coven had heard shouting on occasion, but the vampire never said anything. And until one night we actually witnessed her slap him, we didn't realize how bad it had gotten. But fear not, the vampire's coven sisters jumped in to help him. The former thrall was given enough money for first and last month's rent plus a security deposit and told to leave. She was also given a key to a storage locker with six months paid where she found all of her personal possessions and a vaguely threatening reminder that Norma will address all kinds of messes. Wisely, she went to a human-run extended-leave hotel outside the city. Next week, we will be speaking on vampire hunters and going back in time to read a journal entry of our coven sister Alice Monroe when she and Derek Miller went to town for a business meeting and had to escape a self-proclaimed vampire hunter and the great Seattle fire. Good day, beloved initiates, and sleep the sleep of the dead. The Paper Flower Consortium podcast was written and performed by Elizabeth Gazzetti. You can learn more by going to elizabethgazzetti.com slash paperflowerconsortium. If you have a question for Lady Loretta, please click 
the Ask Lady Loretta button. The music was written by Evan Witt, and you can find his work at www.wittynotes.com. Thanks for listening. 